morning to you. Well done. Very good morning to you. Uh, my name's Neil. Uh, I'm married to the wonderful Kate, who uh, isn't here. Uh, you may have noticed she's normally here, but uh, she is, she's got to go in for a procedure, I think is the technical word for it, on um, Wednesday, uh, which is just a minor thing, so it would just be fairly straightforward. But uh, she went for her pre-op, and they said, uh, oh, that's okay, great, but um, you do need to shield for, the, for seven days prior to your surgery. So she is uh, shielding. Who knew that was still a thing? But apparently it is. Uh, so she sends her love to you and uh, asks that you pray for her on Wednesday. Um, that would be very kind of you. But uh, together we serve this community of faith called the South West London Vineyard. Uh, it's wonderful to see you all this morning. And if you're new here or visiting, it's great to see you. Do uh, come and say hello to us. And again, if you're new or visiting, or just a little peckish, uh, do come and join us for lunch uh, straight after the service uh, in the foyer. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And as you will no doubt have realized, today marks the first Sunday in Advent. And over the season of Advent, in the lead up to Christmas, sort of the idea is that each week would draw our attention and draw us closer to what it means for Jesus, the Messiah, to come into the world as Emmanuel, God with us. And during Advent, there's an invitation that is extended by the Spirit of God to all of us to slow down and to pause in this often uh, hurried and frenetic season and to take time really to both remember and to anticipate. And so we remember what was prophesied and promised and realized in the first coming of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas. But at the same time, we also look ahead. We also anticipate uh, the time when Jesus will return and when he comes again in glory and sets everything aright. So as we look back to Jesus' first coming and look ahead to his coming again in Advent, we really get to experience, we really get to live in the reality of living in the in-between, what here in the vineyard we call the now and the not yet. Advent is very much a season of the now and the not yet. Uh, for now, let's just turn to Luke uh, chapter 1. We'll start in verse 26. It says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, which is fair enough. Remember, Mary's probably a, a teenage girl. Uh, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word 
to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Uh, now, if you can, just flip over to the uh, last chapter in, chap- uh, in Luke, uh, to Luke chapter 24. I just want to read a few verses there from the first chapter of Luke's gospel to the last, from the story of right before Jesus' birth to the story right after the resurrection of Jesus. This is Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Remember, this is just after the uh, crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with one another, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, Why, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, you know, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests handed uh, and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Have a look back again to Luke chapter 1, verse 32. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And now have a look again at Luke 24, verse 21. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Uh, Here in the first and last chapters of Luke, we've got these verses that in in many ways kind of bookend the whole gospel of Luke. And in chapter one, you've got this amazing promise of a coming king who's going to be great. He's going to be the son of the most high, whose kingdom is never going to end. And then in Luke 24, you've got the disciples um, somewhat despondent, having witnessed the crucifixion of this same uh, Jesus, now saying, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. We had hoped. How often do we find ourselves echoing the words of the disciples here? We had hoped. You know, we had hoped that things would turn out different. We had hoped that, I don't know, injustice would end. We had hoped that there would be peace by now. We had hoped that our relationships would be less complicated. We had hoped that we wouldn't have had to go through so much suffering and loss and grief and bereavement. We had hoped, you know, we can just fill in the gaps. We had hoped that he was the one. And the name for that, that sense, that feeling of being let down and for the confusion and the sadness that so often comes in its wake is, um, is disappointment. Disappointment. And yet, uh, the theme for Advent today, in keeping with the church's tradition of looking at hope and peace and joy and love, our 
uh, over the season of Advent. Our theme uh, today is the subject of hope. And yet, for many of us, there is often disappointment in our lives. Disappointment is normal for so many of us. You know, that feeling of being let down, if we're being honest. Most of us, you know, we have this expectation that life is going to be good, uh, that things will go well with us and things will go well with the people that we love. And so when we come up against some of the many challenges, some of the very many challenges that life throws at us, things like uh, sickness and loss, broken relationships, you know, whatever it may be, it's, it's painful. It's really painful. It's disappointing. We often have this expectation that life is going to be straightforward, but our reality and our experience so often doesn't match up because life can be tricky. Life can be hard. It's not all plain sailing. Life can be full of suffering and setback. You know, especially over these past few years, life has been, for so many people, so difficult. I had a woman call me last night. Um, I think she called on the free phone number on the website. And she just, uh, I don't know who she was, she just said, are you a pastor? And I said, yeah. And uh, I had her on loudspeaker while Kate was there. And she was on the phone for about half an hour just weeping, wailing, not weeping, wailing about how her life has just been ruined since COVID. She can't go out. She's terrified to go to see a doctor. She's terrified to do anything. And she said, I've tried everybody. I've tried everybody. No one will help me. My life is over. And I just thought maybe I should call a pastor. I've always believed in God. And maybe God will help me because no one else can. Okay, now, you know, we came off the phone. And it was like, oh, seeing the impact of people's lives from the, just from the last few years. You know, we've all gone through a global pandemic and cost of living crisis. We're seeing soaring inflation, raising interest rates, years, eye-watering energy bills, war in Ukraine, conflicts in the Middle East, an ongoing climate crisis. And all of that's on top of whatever personal challenges and difficulties many of us have faced. You know, these past years have been hard on so many of us, and none of us, whether we acknowledge it or not, are coming through it unscathed, as that woman, God bless her, on the phone last night was an illustration. You know, the famous words from uh, the famous Christmas carol, O Holy Night, the weary world rejoices. You know, those words have never been more apt. So many of the things that we've put our hope in have let us down. Uh, progress has let us down. You know, we thought that life was going to get better. You know, we're all meritocrats and life was supposed to get easier. It's not supposed to get harder. That politics has let us down. If any of us ever had any faith in politics, any hope that we may have had that politicians and government were going to solve any of the issues facing so many, that just seems like a distant dream, a naive hope. Even our own humanity kind of lets us down. We have seeming inability to reconcile with one another and with those who are different from ourselves as we continue to do battle with things like racism and prejudice and all those kind of things. Even the church has let us down. You know, the sheer catalogue of failings and shortcomings as the church herself shows herself to be human and fragile and desperately in need of the mercy of God. So many of us feel disappointment. Many of us are disappointed. Many of us feel let down. But what if, here's a thought, what if disappointment were a good thing? 
What if contained within that disappointment there were a secret gift? What if disappointment and that feeling that we have of being disappointed were in fact some kind of indicator, some kind of flashing light on our dashboard telling us that perhaps our hope has been in the wrong thing? Because hope must have an object. It must have a someone or a something. There must be someone or something that we are putting our hope in. What if some of the disappointment that we feel comes with a gentle invitation from the Spirit of God to recenter our hope this Advent and reorient our hearts uh, towards the future and our focus uh, on the present onto God? What if when we feel disappointed or disillusioned, rather than asking, why has God let me down? What if we were to ask ourselves, where might my hope have been set in the wrong direction? You know, for followers of Jesus, this is really complicated. You know, would that it were as simple as, you know, we put our hope in Jesus and we're all set. Off we go to the races. You know, but let's be honest, do you ever feel, even if it's just on an emotional level, that God has let you down? It's okay, you know, you can say that. It's not heresy. It's like, do you know what? Actually, I feel like God has let me down. Sometimes. You know, even when our hope is in Jesus, we can often relate to our two friends on the road to Emmaus. We had hoped that Jesus would, and we fill in the blanks. We had hoped that Jesus would do this or that in my life. We, would, we had hoped that Jesus would show up in this way or that way. We had hoped that Jesus would answer our prayers in this way. We'd hoped that Jesus would. And just as an aside, you see how Luke doesn't name the second disciple? Some scholars think that that's an intentional sort of literary device used by Luke to prompt us as the reader to imagine ourselves there on the road to Emmaus as the anonymous disciple. The unnamed disciple there is all of us. You know, it's not unusual to come to some point on the road of our journey of faith where we feel let down by Jesus. You know, that's why so many first century Jews rejected Jesus, because they felt let down. You know, he didn't rally an army. He didn't defeat uh, Rome. He didn't even campaign for lower taxes. To all intents and purposes, it looked like Jesus just came and went. And Rome was still triumphant, and the oppressed were still being oppressed. What we need uh, then, I think, uh, and now, uh, is what uh, the Apostle Paul, a Jew who did accept that Jesus uh, was the Messiah, came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. What we need is what Paul calls in Romans 5.5, a hope that does not disappoint us. A hope that does not disappoint us. That's what we need, which raises the question, you know, what exactly is hope? You know, at least what is the kind of hope that doesn't disappoint us? Now, uh, hope can be used to mean all different kinds of things. You know, we've got wishful thinking, you know, like um, uh, I wish uh, the heating in this hall would get turned on sometime, you know. Um, it is supposed to be happening today. Today was the day I did bring, you know, streamers and things, and then Alan told me that there's been a hitch, and so it's not going to be today, so I left the streamers at home. Um, they're gathering dust. I've had the streamers for 30 years. Um, <laughs> But one day, um, 
you know, it could be wishful thinking, you know, I hope it's going to snow at Christmas. It could be wishful thinking, I hope it's not going to snow at Christmas. I hope it's going to be 28 degrees at Christmas. Um, you know, or there's that kind of positive thinking kind of hope that's popular along, among uh, so many Christians. You know, chin up, you know, the best is yet to come. You know, praise the Lord, things can only get better. It could be worse. Uh, that sort of, you know, thing. Now, you know, none of that's necessarily bad, although the, the reality is much of it is based on uh, illusion and fantasy uh, rather than reality, you know, certainly in the case of the heating here. Uh, but it's not intrinsically bad. But it's not the way that hope is used in the Bible. Uh, hope in the Bible is, is much more rooted and grounded in the expectation of things coming good based on the person and the promises of God. Hope is a kind of energy that is based on the future but is fuel for the present. Eugene Peterson has this to say about hope. He says this, Hope is not about the future. Hope is about the present. It obviously has to do with the future, but it's a virtue which is cultivated in the present. It fills the present with energy. It connects the two comings of Jesus so that we are now participants in them. We are not just remembering the one and believing in the other. We are participating in the continuity of the two comings of Jesus. And what that means is that hope, uh, just like Advent, is all about the now and the not yet. Uh, and we all need hope. Martin Luther said, everything that is done in this world is done by hope. You know, every business that is started, every vow at a marriage, every friendship that we embrace, every act that we do, everything that is done in this world is done by hope. Hope is that fuel, that energy. The question isn't, you know, do you hope? You know, we cannot but hope. The question is, what or who do we put our hope in? And as followers of Jesus, our hope must go beyond all the usual things in which people normally place their hope. Things like money and success and education and fame and fortune and position and on and on and on and on. Our hope needs to be rooted and grounded and established in God alone. And to say our hope is in God is essentially, I think, to say three things. Uh, firstly, our hope is that Jesus will return to make all things new. Our hope is that Jesus will return to make all things new. Go back to Luke chapter 1. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He'll be great and he'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And what does his never-ending kingdom that's being described look like? Well, have a look at Revelation 24, uh, 21, chapter four, uh, verse 4. 21, verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. That's what we are hoping for. Truth be told, many of us have lost sight uh, in the hope, the second coming of Jesus. There's other verses that point to that hope that we are looking forward to. We need to anchor ourselves in those scriptures and in that hope of that future age. We've lost sight of uh, that hope of the second coming of Jesus. What, uh, theologians call it an over-realized eschatology. An over-realized eschatology where there's too much focus on uh, the now rather than the not yet. Or the hope of what God will do in this life rather than looking ahead to the hope of what God will do in the life to come. 
Few of us uh, live with the expectation and hope of the return of Jesus as if it were imminent. It's in our hearts and our minds. It excites us. Uh, but hope that doesn't look over the horizon uh, to the life that is to come is not Christian hope at all. Uh, Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, uh, verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. The writings of the New Testament are just saturated with the hope of Jesus' return. The hope of Jesus' return is literally on every single page of the New Testament. And it's a radically different vision of hope. It's totally unlike the world in which we live which puts, uh, today, which puts its hope in things like politics and science and technology and rising standards of living and health and microdosing mushrooms or whatever it is people are doing these days. Apparently that's a thing. Um, anything other than Jesus. As if uh, the, the, the kingdom that was promised in Luke chapter 1, as if that kingdom reality can be ushered in with anyone but Jesus. Some of those things, you know, um, they may well bring about degrees of change, but they cannot bring about the kingdom. We can't save ourselves or the world in which we live because we all need to be saved from ourselves and we need to be saved from the world in which we live. And nothing and no one can do that other than King Jesus. All those other things, they will always let us down they will always leave us disappointed. They're mere illusions that will always lead to disillusionment. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that the government will be upon his shoulders. Not as, upon his. God is the only one who will bring the kingdom to pass. You know, and do we have a role to play? Yes, absolutely. We partner with God, but truth be told, the kingdom is happening. The kingdom is coming with or without us. God is at work. He is bringing his kingdom to bear. And that's our hope this Advent, that God will return in his glory and make all things new. A second thing about our hope is that Jesus is with us. Luke chapter 1, verse 28, it says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Jesus is with us. Just kind of remind ourselves of that fact and let that fact soak into us. Whatever does or doesn't come our way in life, we are not alone. Emmanuel is the constant refrain of Christmas. God with us. And John Wesley, uh, as he lay on his deathbed, famously his last words were, he kind of sat bolt upright in bed before he cocked it and said, you know, best of all, God is with us. Best of all, God is with us. Best of all, we're not alone. God is with us. Do we really believe that the best thing in life is that through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead, through the Holy Spirit that was poured out after, that we all, as followers of Jesus, have unfettered access to the Father and to his unending, unconditional love. We get to wake up in the morning and find a quiet corner if you don't have children, if such a place exists in your house. It could be the shower or the loo, I don't know. But we can find a quiet corner and just spend time in the presence of God. We remind ourselves of that fact. You know, and nothing, you know, no suffering, no failure, no difficulty, no family dysfunction, 
no death, no loss, no bereavement, none of it can take away from that access we have to uh, God's loving presence. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Right here in this chilly, bracing room, right in this moment, right now, you can just sit in the presence of the, the loving presence of God, the gentle, compassionate goodness of God is available to all of us all the time. All we have to do is stop and turn our eyes upon Jesus and he is with us. Emmanuel, God with us, no matter what happens. Thirdly, our hope is that Jesus will bring goodness from the future age into the mess of this one. Our hope is that God will bring uh, goodness from the future age into the mess of this one. Have a look at Luke 21, uh, 1, 32 and 33 again. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. You see, our hope is not just in the life to come, although that's a big part of it. It's also for this life. God is with us. Our heavenly father is generous and he's good and all powerful. Uh, and we have to remember that the kingdom is both the now and the not. Yet Jesus can and does bring forward good from the age to come into what the New Testament calls this present evil age. From heaven to earth. N.T. Wright defined heaven as the place where God is storing the earth's future. And God does and bring, you know, can brings it forward. It's like a preview, a foretaste, if you like, of our coming life together. And, you know, life in all of its challenges, is also full of surprising goodness from God. We just have to keep our eyes open and watch out for it and slow down for long enough to see it and pay attention to where the kingdom is breaking through. The goodness of God, truth be told, is all around us, all the time. And I don't have time to go into it now, but you know, the, as, as Adam was saying, the generosity of all of you, you know, and all of your friends and all of your neighbours in providing Christmas gifts for children and families escaping uh, trafficking and domestic violence and all those kind of things. That is a wonderful, practical, tangible demonstration of the breakthrough of the kingdom of God. Never forget that. Never lose sight of that. You weren't just buying presents. Um, you know what uh, Ebenezer was saying. When you're on the setup team, you're not just putting up signs. You are an expression of, a demonstration of the kingdom of heaven breaking through, putting up signs that point to, this is where you might find something about Jesus. This is where you might find Jesus. So that when people like the woman who called me last night are walking past and see the signs, she might find her way through these doors and encounter Jesus who can transform her life. When you're on the setup team, you're not just lugging boxes. You are an agent, a minister of the kingdom of heaven, your continued, all of your continued financial generosity as you give so generously to this church in the midst of your own challenging financial circumstances so that we can all do and see all these things and more. That's a wonderful demonstration of the kingdom of God. And while we're at it, a clear indication that your hearts are set, you know, not so much on this age, but on the age that is yet to come and seeing that age break through into this present age. Um, even just the other week, someone arrived at church, uh, they arrived with a headache, and then they shared how once the worship started, their headache had gone. You know, like for me, it's the opposite. But the... <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Again, a tangible demonstration of the breakthrough of the kingdom. Um, and, you know, just as an aside, coupled with all of this, as we come to the end of the year, it's a one, this is a wonderful opportunity for us to take time to reflect and think about all of the things that we have to be grateful for. 
All of those examples of the goodness of God breaking through. This is our hope. Jesus will return, you know, that we're not alone and that God is with us and that goodness comes to us both in this life and in the next at the hand of God. And the invitation from the Spirit of God this Advent, as in every Advent, is to set our hope back in its rightful place, to set our hope back into Jesus. One writer put it like this, Advent is not simply a season to await the coming of Christmas, much less is it simply a reenactment of ancient hopes long ago fulfilled. Rather, it is a time to renew and enlarge our hopes, to tap into the deepest hopes of the human race for the age that is to come, and then to prepare for the mystery, visible only to the eyes of faith, the fact that in this humble birth so long ago, the coming age has become, begun. I am coming into land, I promise. Um, but there are times, you know, when, like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, um, there are times when our emotional energy kind of runs out of fuel. There are times when life doesn't make sense, when nothing adds up. Just another encouragement for you. Advent is a time for a confused and troubled heart. This is the season for it. It's a time. Advent is a time for asking hard questions and facing the darkness. There's a reason that when the church calendar was put together, Advent was tied to the darkest time of the year. You know, in Advent, we don't pretend that we are in the darkness before the birth of Christ. Rather, we take a good, hard look at the darkness that we are in now, and we face it honestly so that we'll understand with utmost clarity that our great and only hope is in Jesus final victorious coming. The challenge with all of that is if you're anything like me, we are terrible at waiting for God in the dark. It's really not very much fun. You know, I'd rather that things were always bright and sunny. I'd rather things were always warm. I'd rather things were always comfortable. Uh, if I'm honest, I'd rather that I was always in control. Um, if I'm being honest, I'd rather not sit in the darkness and have to learn how to hope as I stumble and scrabble and fumble around trying to find God. Because, you know, hope has three things. One is an expectation of the future, you know, that, that good will come from God. Uh, two is trust, you know, that we will trust in God. And then three, there's this patience of waiting. And the first one I can sort of do, the second one, I can do some of the time. The third one, I can do rarely ever at all. And this is where hope is not just a feeling. It's a decision. It's a choice that we make. It's a choice that we make as an act of obedience to Jesus. Um, Romans 4, and I am stopping, I promise. Romans 4.18 says this, uh, starting in 18, says this, against all hope, against all hope, Abraham in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him so shall your offspring be without weakening in his faith he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that sarah's womb was also dead because she was about 250 years old yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of god but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to god being fully persuaded that god had power to do what he'd promised see that phrase against all hope you know do you find yourselves do we find ourselves this morning against all hope right now in our lives in our finances in our relationships in our health in our families are we against 
all hope. Against all hope, in hope. The invitation to us, being extended to us, is to believe in God, to trust in God, and to wait for God in patience. May you, may I, may we as a church, may we have the faith of Abraham. You know, Abraham to whom God made this promise that through his descendants, God would come and save and rescue the world. And through the faith of this young teenage girl, Mary, who, by the way, was one of Abraham's descendants, to whom God fulfilled the promise that he made hundreds of years before to her ancestor Abraham, that through her own body he would come to save and rescue the world. That same Mary who said, I am the Lord's servant, may it be according to me as, as, as you have said. May it be to me according to your word. You know, here I am, she says, I believe in you. Here I am. Have your way, I trust in you. I wait on you in hope. I wait patiently in the darkness of all of this moment. And when we find ourselves saying, you know, I'd hoped, I had hoped, like the disciples, I had hoped that my life would be easier. Instead, perhaps we could think about saying, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. When we find ourselves saying, I had hoped my prayers would be answered the way that I wanted them to be. Instead, perhaps we should find ourselves saying, I am the Lord's servant. May it be unto me according to your word. I'd hoped that suffering and pain would go away. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. And definitely to finish with, um, as Paul uh, says in his letter to Romans, this is our prayer, I think, as we turn into Advent. Uh, may the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If we could have the band back.